There were some unusual things that happened uh, over 2020 and 2021. Uh, In some cases, COVID brought out the crazies. There were things that went on that you would never think would ever go on or anybody would ever attempt, but it seemed reasonable for some people uh, during the season of COVID. Back in uh, April of uh, 2021, outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, there was two women that came into a Dollar General store just outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And they went through and uh, they were trying to buy a bunch of gift cards. And when they got to the counter, they uh, pulled out a $1 million bill. Now, I, I first of all heard that story and thought, at a Dollar General of all places, you know, you're going to pull out a $1 million bill. But they pulled out a $1 million bill, and uh, they, <clears throat> the store obviously called in to the police because this was something that doesn't exist. There is no $1 million bill. It doesn't exist, never has, never will, hopefully, uh, that uh, we are going to be needing that on a regular basis. But uh, the fact was is that the one woman, when confronted, uh, just simply said that she had received a $1 million bill uh, in the mail from a church. Yeah. I was thinking, $1 million bill from a church. That's another you know, thing going, okay, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, however, she could not provide the information for the church that she had received the $1 million bill from. Uh, McCormick was reportedly trying to buy several items with the fake money, including the numerous gift cards uh, to different businesses. According to an incident report from the scene, she explained that the attempted purchases were for care packages that would be given to people in the area experiencing homelessness. The 61-year-old woman accompanying McCormick was also questioned by authorities, but she claimed she had no prior knowledge of the fake bill. Uh, She said the two of them were merely running errands together. Uh, The pair were not charged for any crime uh, as they were issued a verbal no trespass warning prohibiting them from coming back to Dollar General ever again. Uh, The so-called $1 million bill was confiscated by authorities. And uh, the note here in this is that though there's never been $1 million printed, companies have been known to print novelty bills as promotional material. uh, And uh, it's unclear whether McCormick actually believed her bill was redeemable. You kind of go, this is hard to imagine that they go into a store and honestly think that they're going to get change for a million dollars back from a dollar general. But they, they thought that. And they were manipulating the system, I would say, more than likely in order to get these cards. And, and they thought that this would be a good idea to use this fraudulent $1 million bill. But then I look at this story that we've read through this morning and you go, same kind of goofiness going on here. People cutting trees up and this and putting them in water troughs and the like, thinking that this is going to solve problems and answer questions and the like. The the manipulation and the deception attempted here by multiple people, you go, it's on that kind of level. And we're back in this kind of thing again with Jacob. Jacob, uh, in the last uh, story that we looked at, was kind of a non-character. In fact, uh, he's hired out by his wife's uh, uh, and uh, the like. He's not a person that's in charge. He's, he's basically one who is at the whim of what's going on. But in this story, it seems like Jacob is suddenly back. 
And he's taking charge and attempting to take care of things. And he's going to do some things that are questionable. Doesn't make him right, doesn't make him any good. But in the end, as he looks at this, he begins to realize that despite of all the stuff that he's done, the manipulation, the deception, the lying, that he looks back and he begins to see God's hand in all of this. God doing something, not because of who he is, but because of who God is and what God had promised. For us looking at this passage, you say, what do we do with this? Is this, you know, if we're farmers, we learn how to be better farmers and increase our uh, flocks by doing some of these things? Is it okay for us to manipulate and perhaps use a maybe not a $1 million bill, but a $100,000 bill somewhere that's fake? No, it's this. Uh, We ought to come away from this passage with this understanding when we look back on our lives, or put it this way, when looking back on our lives, we can clearly see God's gracious blessing despite our attempted interference in sin. When we look back on our lives, we can clearly see God's gracious blessing despite our attempted interference and sin. In the first part of this story, we see a a section we could just simply put this way. We often attempt to gain God's blessing by ignorant means and methods. This story comes on the end of what we looked at last week where you have uh, 12 children born to Jacob, 11 boys, one daughter. And the last son that's born, his name is Joseph, which means to add. And the thought on Rachel's part was, may the Lord add more children. May the Lord add more children to this family. May the Lord increase is the idea. Well, we go from that part of the story where God has, in 14 years' time, taken a man who was unmarried, now to the point he's been married for 14 years, he has 11 11 sons and one daughter. God's increased his posterity, his progeny, his children. But he still has nothing in his bank account. See, he was working when he was working for uh, his father-in-law. Jacob was working just merely to earn his wife and his children. He was gaining nothing out of this. And so for him, he's getting to the end of his two seven-year deals that he made. And he's going, it's time for me to leave. And he comes to Jacob and he says, it is time for me to leave. And Jacob realizes, I'm about to lose my best worker. I mean, despite the fact that Laban was a cheat, it does seem like Jacob was the type of individual who worked really hard. And throughout uh, what Jacob had done, you see God blessing You go, why did God bless? Because God had made a promise to Abraham, then to Isaac, then to Jacob, and it was this, through thee shall the nations of the earth be blessed. You'll be a blessing to the nations, and you'll be a blessing to them that bless thee, and a cursing to them that curse thee. You say, why did God bless what Jacob was doing, though he's kind of a scoundrel in whatever he's doing, uh, and Laban seems to increase in his property? It seems to be a reflection of God just simply going, I promise to do this, and I'm showing myself strong, even through a guy like Jacob. 
But despite all of that, I mean, you see Laban that he uh, says in verse 27, I pray thee if I found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience, that word experience is by the, the, the term is divination. It seems like he was consulting gods and going, is this really the truth? But the, the idea of experience, that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. He's kind of figured it out. It's not because of me that I'm receiving all this good stuff. The crops are doing well. The flocks are doing well. He realized it's because of your Lord, your Jehovah. So for us, you go, well, what's going on here with this new deal? He says, what do you want as far as your wage? And it's a cunning deal that uh, Jacob works out with Laban. See, for us, we, we don't quite understand when they're talking about ring-straked ring and striped and, and speckled and all of these type of things, uh, what's being discussed here. But I can put it in some simple terms for us uh, city folk, maybe. Basically, when sheep are born, they're going to be white. When goats were born back in that culture, they would be dark or black-haired. What Jacob says is this, and that's not normally how, that's how they normally turned out when they were born, but what he says to Laban is this, I want all the sheep that when they're born, the sheep that are not white, they're, they're discolored in the sense that they're multicolored, a different color than white, I'll take that one when they're born, that will be my pay. And when we have goats that aren't dark-haired, you know, they're a mix of colors, or perhaps, you know, they're, they're, they're white like the sheep. He goes, I'll take those also. But normally in the, the flocks of Laban, this is not how they turned out. They were always white sheep and black goats. And so Laban goes, I agree to this. You can have this, and when they're born, you get the ones that are not the normal ones. And I get to keep the ones that are normal. But as you see with Jacob, Jacob has met his match with Laban. Uh, you may have caught this as you read through that in verse number 34, Laban said um, this, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. He goes, okay, we've got a deal. But, verse 35, he removed that day the he-goats that were ring-strake spotted and the she-goats that were speckled and spotted and everyone that had some white in it and gave the brown. You say, what does he do? He takes away all the sheep that are already like this. He takes them out of the flock and takes his son and goes, take these flocks far, far away and manage them someplace else, but not here. So Laban agrees to this deal, but he thinks, aha, I manipulated the system. He's not going to get anything out of this. He cheats, manipulates, just like Jacob is about to do with these sheep. See, for us, you, you get to this old manipulation, this cheating uh, going on by Laban, and Jacob kind of does the same type of thing. Jacob, when he starts uh, managing these flocks, you have this whole story that takes place that we're really not sure what goes on. Verse 37, Jacob took rods of green poplar and hazel and chestnut and pilled white strakes in them. And what it just simply means is this. He's taking these different trees and he's cutting the bark off of them. So the white underneath the bark is showing up. And he's taking those, those sticks 
And as uh, the ones that he wants to produce, the stronger sheep and stronger goats come along, he takes these sticks and drops them into the water trough. And his assumption is this, that when the goats and the sheep see this, they'll conceive and they will have spotted and speckled because you would have, you know, because he's not cutting off all the bark. You have the mix of both the bark and the white that's there. That the sheep will be a mix. And you're kind of going, that's not how it works. But this is what Jacob is assuming. He's using superstition. He's using uh, this kind of idea, sort of like with Rachel and Leah when they had the, the mandrakes that were got. And if you had these, then you'll have more children. The superstitious idea here. He's thinking that if I can get these sticks in the water, that I will get a whole bunch of sheep that I want. Now, there is some irony in this statement. That word poplar, the tree that is mentioned there, is the word white. It's the same name, or same name as Laban, who is white. That's his name, what it means, white. And it's ironic that by something that's white, he's going to cheat the person who is white. Sort of like earlier on in Jacob's life, that Jacob has a red stew and he deceives his brother whose name is Red Edom in order to get the birthright. Jacob is just doing what he's done before with Esau cheating him. You kind of get it played out here. Okay, he's, he's cheating Laban to get advantage of him. And you go, is this going to go well? Is this actually going to happen? Uh, what Jacob is doing, is it going to work? As you read through the story uh, and you go through it, it, just from a human perspective, as you read through the story, it works. In fact, the healthier sheep and the stronger sheep are the speckled ones that Jacob keeps getting and Laban keeps getting the regular sheep and they're the weak ones. And this happens over time, over six-year period of time, so that you get to the point in verse number 43 that Jacob has such large flocks that he's able to get servants to manage this. He's able to pay for servants to manage uh, the stuff that's going on here. He's able to buy camels and donkeys. And you say, well, what's that? Camels were like buying yourself a luxury vehicle. Okay, if you had a camel, you were someone who was wealthy. The average person didn't have a camel. They didn't have this. He's got camels. He's got donkeys. He's got sheep. He's got goats. He's got servants. So by the time you get to verse number 42, in six years period of time, you have a man who goes from being penniless, all he's got is a family, to being a very wealthy man. In fact, looking at the statement as Laban, or excuse me, uh, as Laban's sons get upset later on, uh, they say this, that um, this, this is one who is taken from our father, and of uh, that which our father hath, he has gotten all his glory. And that word glory is the word kabod, uh, and it refer, or kabod, it refers to the idea of weightiness. 
You know, we, we talk about somebody being a heavyweight in business or this type of thing. Uh, that's the idea here. God gets glory. You go, why? Because He is the weightiest individual in the universe as far as what He's able to do. And here, these brothers are looking at Him and, and, and what, Joseph's got, or excuse me, what Jacob's got, and they go, He got all this stuff, all this weighty stuff. You I mean, you can look around and see all of it. He's gotten it by cheating our father. I mean, by their estimation, he is a wealthy, wealthy man in six years' period of time. You look at the story and you go, okay, well, he's manipulated the system. And two people have made comments like this. Whatever the precise explanation for his success, the passage shows that Jacob relied on these visual aids as the women did on the mandrakes, but ultimately, in the end, what's he going to do? He's going to credit God. The Lord tolerated Jacob's imaginative devices and transcended them. God was pleased to bless despite whatever erroneous notions Jacob may have had about animal husbandry, raising of sheep and, and cattle. Another one's made this statement, Jacob's success at outwitting the cheater, Laban, comes not from his folly, but from God's grace. And that's what brings us to the second point. We sometimes will try ignorant means to accomplish our purposes uh, that have nothing to do with God, and it's selfish, deceptive at times, in order to get blessing and goods for ourselves. But the second part, starting in verse number one, we see this, that we are oftentimes forced to look back at God's blessing as we move ahead. We have to take a backward look and see what God's done as we're forced to move ahead or move forward. I mean, this move that you have for J Jacob is a forced move. He has to. There's three things that take place in the stories we read through it that make it obvious that he needs to leave. We didn't know that until this point Leah and Rachel had a brother or brothers, but at this point all of a sudden you have the brothers who are upset because they see their inheritance disappearing. Whatever their father has, they're eventually going to get, and what they're observing is that Jacob is getting all sorts of flocks and they're getting nothing. They're not happy with Jacob. And you see in verse number 2 of chapter 31 that Laban's not. He beheld, uh, Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban and it was not towards him as before. I mean, Laban used to be happy as he was working because it was dollar signs ringing every time Jacob goes to work and now it's not happening. And Laban, you know, is not looking at him with happiness. He's probably looking at him with the green eye of envy of everything that Jacob seems to be getting. But that's not the, the, the only sole reasons for Jacob's move. There's a third reason, and that's probably, uh, as you rank them, it is the most important one. Because in verse 3, when Jacob sees these two things, kind of indicators, maybe it's time to leave, God makes it very clear. The Lord, verse 3, said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Sounds like what God says to Abraham when he's in the same spot. A hundred over a hundred years before, he's in the same spot. And the Lord says, I want you to leave your family and your country and go to a land that I will show to thee. God tells him it's time to move. 
And when God says it's time to move, it's time to move. Not to tarry, not to do anything like that, to not to, to delay. And as he looks at uh, this store, or looks at all of these things, he decides it's time because he gets this message from the Lord to talk to his wives about this. And it's kind of deceptive even what he does here. It's going to be deceptive in the way that he leaves. But he has his wives come out to the field where he's working away from home and listening ears that might be there, and he begins to discuss with them what's happened. And as Jacob goes through in verses 4 through 16, what you have is a highlight statement of Jacob's life where he recognizes who the one is that is doing everything. I mean, this is a, a time for him to look back and he begins to see God's hand pressed upon the situation and in every point, God influencing what's going on. And he starts off with the fact of uh, talking to his wives about the fact that it's time to go. And he starts off with dealing with what Laban had done to him. He said, I've worked for Laban all these years. He's treated me as a slave you see in verse number um, seven that he's changed my wages seven times, or excuse me, ten times. I mean, it's kind of a, a generic way of saying he kept changing the boundary, you know, the, 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 the goal, the deal. It seems like even in some of what we read in the story, it seems like he even in the deal that he made as far as the, the cattle and the sheep or excuse me, the goats and the sheep, and his deal with that, he keeps changing some of the parameters on what's going on there. He says he's doing this time and time again, and, it, and, and it really by stating this, he's saying enough is enough. Okay, the, you know, from any human perspective, this is time to leave, time to quit. But then he goes on to acknowledge the fact that in all of this, the deceiving and all of this did not, that, that went on, but verse 7, he says this, but God suffered him not to hurt me. We've kind of gone a whole long time here from the time of Bethel where he talks about God's here and he's in this place and this for him to finally start talking about God again. It's been 20 years. He hasn't really made mention of God any of the time that he's been here with Laban. In fact, his wives are the ones who make more mention of God than he does during this 20-year time period. But at this point, he realizes, he looks back, there were all sorts of times that he could have done things to hurt me. And he would say from this perspective, it was a miracle that it didn't happen. God was involved in that protection, that God is one who protects, that God is the one who keeps safe, that God is the one who takes care. And for all of us, as we look back on our lives on certain occasions, you just go, it's a miracle, I'm even alive. You go, how did that happen? Because I was so smart and so strong and so, no. It's because of God's gracious protection. We in our ignorance and our weakness couldn't protect ourselves. And God goes through and he's protected us throughout our life. Jacob begins to see this and proclaim this in verse 7. And then in verse 8, 
or excuse me, uh, verse 8, he says this, if he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring strake shall be uh, thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring strake. Thus, verse 9, God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them unto me. Now remember, this is the man who for six years is taking sticks and throwing them in the water, thinking that's what's solving the situation. But as he begins to look at all of this, he realizes this. No, that superstitious stuff I did, the manipulations I did, that had nothing to do with it. Zero. God was the one who gave the blessing. God was the one who took care of me. God was the one who provided. He protected me. He provided what he gave me. I mean, he's, he's, he's finally coming to the conclusion of what God told him 20 years before at Bethel, that I'll be with you and I'll bring you back here. He's finally seeing it and going, the Lord's protected me this whole time. I'm about to head back. He's protected me and he's provided for me. I left the land of uh, Canaan with just merely what I had on my back as far as my clothes and the staff that was in my hand. And now he's going to admit this uh, in the next chapter that he's going, I'm coming back with family, provision. This is all God's doing. It's nothing that I've done. And so he sees that statement and it goes on in verse 10. It came to pass that the cattle conceived. I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream and beheld the rams which leaped upon the cattle and ring straked and the grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream saying, I am, uh, excuse me, he said, Jacob. And I said, here am I. Verse 12, he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle or ring stake speckled and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth to thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar and where thou vowest to vow unto me. Now rise, get thee out from the land and return unto the Lord, or excuse me, the land of thy kindred. I mean, he's seen God's provision, God's protection, but now he's, here, he's seeing God's word and its power. And he's just simply saying this, I have to leave. But I look back and see, this is a God who 20 years ago said, I'm going to take care of you. He remembers the words of God. You know, sometimes it takes for us to begin to see what God's doing is for us to be reminded of God's word. Too many times we think, oh, I solved that situation or I, I was good at what I was doing and that's why I had the success I had. And then we look at the Word of God and we suddenly realize, wait, no, this, is, this has all been God's doing. That's exactly what happened. I mean, he kind of sees it and hints at it. Okay, God's with me. God's taken care of me. He's protected me. He's given me provision. But then God's Word comes through clear. He has this vision, but he's reminded of the very words that God had said to him 20 years before. And he's going, God's the one who did this. Not me. Not my manipulation. Not my smarts. Not my craftiness. No, God's done all of this. One has said this, Jacob's explanation here represents his sobered reflections on the happenings of the last few years. I mean, he, he, is, he is going to be a changed man when he gets back to the land of Canaan. God's going to have to do a few more things to shape him, but these 20 years have been God's wilderness time for him. 
Or like some have compared it, it's like Israel being under the thumb of Pharaoh. And they have to see certain things about their God before God goes, okay, it's time for you to head back. He finally is seeing things about God and understanding certain things. And God's telling him, it's time for you to get back to the land that I promised to you and your sons. And there's confirmation as you follow through the wives. The wives make very clear that they're ready to go. Maybe they've kept quiet about this the whole time. I don't know. But their statement in verse number 14, is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted as strangers? For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also all our money. You go, what what are they talking about? Did he not just like sell them to Jacob? Leah especially? And then the money that he would have received in the sense of Jacob working for him, it's like they said, it's like him stealing from us. He's mismanaged that and he's misused it. And so we are of the opinion that we really have no binding to him, no ties to him. And then they say in verse number 16, they confirm it from God's perspective. For all the riches which God hath taken from our Father, that is ours and our children's. uh, Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. I mean, you suddenly see the wives and you're going, something's happened to change them too. These 20 years of them being a part of this story, they've begun to see God's hand in this and that you can't ignore God. And if God says, okay, it's time for you to move, then do it. It's time for us to go if God's declared this. And so for for us, as we look at this, here you've got a man that's looking back on the last 20 years of life and going, God's done all this as he looks to move forward. Now, coming to a conclusion and application of this, it's really easy for me. What do we do with a passage like this? We're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Say, what's the Lord's Supper for? It's a time for us to stop. What we normally do, Stop uh, what we even normally do in services and the like. We only do this once a month because if we did it every service, it would be something that would become commonplace. Given us every month, it gives us a chance to stop. But what it allows for us to do is to look and focus in and go on in our thinking and think back to why this is here. You have one who's giving it out, who's going to die on a cross. His body's going to be broken. His blood's going to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. And when we come to a table like this, we can't claim any success that we've accomplished. We have nothing that's ever impressed God. As we sang, holy, 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 he's unique. Nothing's ever impressed him. And in fact, any any righteousness that we thought was impressive, God says, not even any better than a band-aid filthy rags that's how god views our righteousness and so when we come to this and contemplate what what this is symbolizing jesus christ death on the cross to give me grace i didn't deserve 
And for some of you, you look back and go, how did God keep me from destroying myself? How did God keep me from ruining my life completely? You may have, but, you know, to the point of destroying yourself in death. And you look back and go, it was because I was such a great person that I got out of that. No. It's because of God's protection and provision of His grace through Jesus Christ that's changed your destiny forever. Not because of who you are, not the things that you manipulated, not the things that you put all sorts of effort into. You have nothing, but by the grace of God, you have everything. You have eternity uh, given to you to be with God forever. You have that, not because you're special. No, because there's a God who gave his son and his son was willing to die. And so for us, this is an opportunity for us to stop, rejoice in what God's given us in the past as we then look forward. Jesus said, do this till he comes back. And you're sitting here going, it couldn't be too soon. If he was to come back today, I'd go and be with him in glory forever. But this gives us an opportunity to look ahead. Said the Lord, as I go into this week ahead, may I reflect what you've done for me on the cross and what I have, uh, the blessings that I have, that you've given to me abundantly. May it be something that's reflected in who I am and what I say and what I do. And so for us, we're kind of in a Jacob kind of moment here. When we have a Lord's Supper like this, it just gives us a chance to reflect, hopefully honestly, about the great God we have, who's had a hand, even though we may not have seen it, he's had a hand in everything. Most importantly, our salvation, but in the providence, the protection the provision that he's given to us throughout the years. He's a great God worthy of our praise. And so as we take the time here this morning, uh, make it a time as the music is playing and the elements are being handed out for you just to consider what God has done for you in the past. And it may be that you have to apologize, you have to confess sin. (laughs) You know, Jacob gets to that point eventually where he's you know, comes to God and is basically asking for forgiveness, clinging to God. The fact is that that's part of it, but just look back and just thank the Lord, but focused on the cross because that's, that's the thing that makes all the difference of what Jesus Christ has done for you.